Ain't God good? Amen. Amen. That is Him. He is good and He's good all the time. What shall we say to these things? Whatever these things are, if God be for us, if God be for us, what can be against us? Amen. If He did not spare His Son when we were without strength, why will He not through His life give us all things? As Psalm 84 teaches us that God will not withhold any good thing for them that walk uprightly. Now we want to preface that that good thing is not always how we interpret a good thing. The good thing can be a very hard thing, a very challenging thing, an impossible thing apart from being mounted up on eagle's wings and soaring with the Lord. Amen? Amen and amen. Well, look, take your copy of God's Word this morning. I want you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, a Newer Testament book, Matthew chapter number 18. Matthew chapter number 18. But I'm just glad I'm a child of the King. Amen. Man, my life, there's no telling where I would be today. There's no telling if this girl and I would still be together up, up, up to 31 years and having three beautiful daughters and four grandchildren. Uh, we, we, that may have not have happened that way. Matter of fact, it more than likely would not have turned out the way that it turned out if I would have been more studious and if I did sign one of those major scholarships that we were working toward, but I didn't have the ACT score to do that, things would have turned out differently. I traveled up to MCC from Louisiana. Louisiana don't have JUCO ball, junior college ball. We didn't have that. We had some baseball teams, but we didn't have football. So I come up and looked at Jones Junior College in a couple different places. And I was on my way to a tryout at MCC with a, a pro baseball team and was on my way up, and it was raining in Laurel, Mississippi. I took the day off from work, didn't make a whole lot of money, and if I didn't work, I didn't get paid, and if I didn't work and get paid, they didn't eat, but I was making a bank on it. I was shooting for it. Well, I got to Laurel, Mississippi, and it was pouring down, raining. I turned the vehicle around, Went back to Covington, Louisiana. Went home. We was living in Folsom, Louisiana at the time. I walked in and I said, Stephanie, what do you think about the Navy? And she says, I don't know. We ain't never talked about it before. I said, well, I've been thinking about the Navy. Didn't know nothing about the Navy. I only knew a few other boys that were older than me went in the Navy. Well, the next day I went and talked to the recruiter and he said, you got to take this test. And like I said, I took the test and I was so low. He said, brother, you a dummy. You can't go in the Navy. They won't let you in the Navy. But you know, by God's providence, he worked it out. And through the Navy, the Navy moved us to Meridian, Mississippi some 23 years ago. And within a year of being in Meridian, Mississippi, the Lord made both of us a child of the King. Amen. Oh, God was working it out the whole time. Amen. Now, I didn't see that with foresight. That's all hindsight of what he has done and how he worked in our lives, and I can't help but give him the glory. And I want to tell you the same God I trusted my life to, the same God I'm trusting right now with my life. Just like I trusted him then, like a child who turned and just put my full confidence in him, as I believed in him, that's how I believe in him today. I have to rest in him. There's a lot that I don't know. I realize the more that I learn, the more I don't know. 
And the more I grow in grace, the more I realize I don't know about the things of God. But I'm just thankful that He's willing to teach me. And that He's willing to put some truth in me. And willing to transform my life. In Psalm 131, David says... And this psalm, this is one of these that I, I would encourage you to lock down and remember, to hide away and think about these principles that we find in it because you, you will need this at different times of your life and you'll find yourself in this position. I want to give you another passage not to turn to, but a passage that you can write down near this passage. If you like to write in your Bible, some people don't write in their Bibles. I write in my Bible. And I try to write in a way that I can understand what I wrote. You know, don't scribble in it that you can't read what you wrote five years down the road. You got to be careful. Have you ever written something down that you didn't write enough of what you was writing down that five years later you read what you wrote, but you didn't know why you wrote it when you wrote it? You know what I'm talking about? That can happen to you if you're not careful. You'll want to be as clear as possible and use words that will help remind you of why you thought that away. I've gone through my Bible, and if you looked in it, it's it's just about every page has been chocolate block food and touched just with time spent in the Word. But there's times where I highlighted a passage. Well, if I looked at that passage right now, it may stand out to me, but I don't know why I highlighted it at the time. But if I jot down a little note in there, it will help me recognize that Ebenezer and an Ebenezer is a stone or a time of remembrance that I can remember what was God speaking to me when He revealed this passage to me and illuminated it to me that I could cling to it and hold on to it as a word and a promise and a principle to live by. I want to have that. And when people will quote a passage of Scripture to me or say something that kind of, because I've read through the entire Scriptures, but I'm like you, I don't have the best memory in the world, and sometimes I will forget a word that that I've read and somebody will say it and it don't register to me, what I attempt to do then, I'm going to find it and I'm going to look for it and I'm going to make sure the next time I hear that passage, I'm going to be familiar with it and I'm not going to be in the dark on it. I want to know it. And I encourage you to, to do that and to think about that. There's something about studying the Word of God. And all God's people said? Amen. Psalm 111 says this. It says that the Word of God is sought out or studied. The works of God is sought out and studied by those that have delight or pleasure therein. To study or seek out the Word of God, the Word means to frequent it often. It's kind of like wearing out a path. Y'all know if you looked out at your mailboxes, y'all do have mailboxes out here, right? Is there a path that the postman has wore out near your mailbox? Why? That vehicle rides and drops that mail off usually five to six days out of the week in those same tracks and they worn the grass out, they worn the ground out due to their frequency of dropping that mail out. That's the idea of studying the works of God. You frequent it. You wear out a path to it. It's worn down because you keep going back. You keep revisiting David and Goliath. You keep revisiting the Red Sea crossing. You keep revisiting Noah's day. You keep revisiting the works of, of God when he did a work in Jehoshaphat's life and the armies were coming again. Him. And Jehoshaphat said, God, we are without strength. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a word, amen. We don't have power to deal with them. We don't know what to do, 
but we're looking unto you. I'll tell you, if you live life long enough, you're going to come against things that you don't have any power over. You're going to come against things that you don't know what to do. And you're going to come against things that the only thing you can do is look unto the Lord. Where we live in Porterville, Mississippi, we live in the Briggs Chapel community. I get to serve, delightfully serve. We are missionaries from Briggs Chapel Church. They love us. They send us out. They see what we do in here as kingdom work. They see this as seed being planted into the kingdom. This is mission work from our church at Briggs Chapel. They are kingdom-minded people, and they love uh, us to be with them, and they also delight in the fact that God can use us in other places and do work for Him. But we don't have the best service, uh, cell service out there in Briggs Chapel. We don't have much internet service. We could not stream our services live. I wish we could, but we can't because we don't have a, a good enough LTE service. And the only Wi-Fi service that we have available to us is DSL. And DSL is kind of like dial-up. It is super, super slow. So when I share principles and upline things, upload things online from uh, preaching and videos and things like that, I usually have to go outside. And I go outside to a spot. Our parsonage sits here. Our church sits right here. We have an old tree that fell not too many years ago. And it's kind of got a, a little sunken in spot where we added some dirt when we pulled up the stump. And I normally can get right in that spot and I got to hold the phone like this, but I got to tilt it like this. And when I do, it picks up a real good signal and I can upload things a lot faster than I can inside or anywhere else in that area. Well, I do it on a frequent basis. And if you walk there right now, the ground underneath where I stand is wore out. It's dirt, grass all around it except right where I stand. Why? I frequent it. You could probably check the path out going back to the house around the swing set that I wore out a path going back and forth to upload things to share with people around the world. Why? I keep going back to it, back to it. And there's this things that God is going to continue to do and establish in your life. And the only way that you are going to be able to walk in them and trust them and delight in them and meditate upon them is that you keep going back to it over and over and over and over and over again so that it becomes part of the fabric of your being, of who you are, like Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, Daniel reminds himself in recalling the God that God is the one who gives wisdom. He's the one who gives knowledge. He's the one who gives strength. And he says these words, you are the God who sees in the dark. Know what that means? God sees what we can't see. God sees into the unknown. And he possesses light. And from time to time, God deposits light in us to see what we couldn't see without his revelation on a thing. And the only way for me to know that is I just got to keep going back to it. And as this passage in Psalm 131 teaches, 
we can rest assured in here today that God sees in the dark. There are things in our life that are unfamiliar, unknown, that we just don't have a clue on. There's things about uh, the future in times that is yet to come. There's things about heaven that we're in the dark on. We just do not know. We piece together what we can. But more than anything, what we want to do is rest in Him who knows exactly what to do with what He knows. And He does it better than anybody. And I can trust Him with my entire life, even when I don't understand the matter, even when things are too profound for me. When I'm troubled with an issue or troubled with a thought or troubled with a, a text or troubled with a person or troubled with a situation, you know what I can find? I can find rest in Him who sees, Him who knows, Him who possessed wisdom from the beginning. And what wisdom is, wisdom is simply knowing what to do with what you know. It's knowing how to take the next step. And God possesses wisdom. He distributes wisdom. He gives away wisdom. But He knows what to do with what He knows. And you can trust Him. Amen? And as David said in Psalm 131, he says these words, Lord, my heart is not haughty, not elevated, lifted up, prideful, nor my eyes lofty. I'm not looking beyond you. I'm not looking beyond people. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Neither do I concern myself with great matters. I'm not frustrating myself with things I can't figure out, nor with things too profound for me, too troubling for me, out of my league. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child with his mother, my soul is within me. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Now, that's a word you won't want to forget. Because I'm telling you, how many of you ever had a frustrated, stressed out, disturbed spirit? Over the circumstances of life. Over the situations of the unknown. Things you don't know what to do with, things you don't know how to handle. It may be an issue with resources, it may be an issue with people, it may be with people on the job, it may be with relationships. You just don't have the solution for it. You don't have the answer for it. Now, we want to be as James taught us. When we're in a position like that, add it all up as joy. Count it as joy. Why? God is at work. Why is He at work? God is using this trial, this trouble to produce a patience in me so that I can draw near to Him and draw near to Him in faith. And it's going to be through the trial that He's going to turn and do something in my life and make me through the trouble. I'm going to grow through the trouble, not just go through the trouble. And He's going to make me more and more like Jesus. And He's going to establish a hope in me that I'll never be ashamed of nor disappointed in. So I can look at the trial as a blessing from God because God's at work in it. Amen. I may not have the answer for it, but I know who has the answer and that's not going to keep me from seeking him, but I'm going to pursue him and I'm going to rest in the fact that he sees where I'm at. He knows what to do with me. He knows what to feed me. He knows how to lead me. And He knows how to meet every need in my life. And I'm going to jump up in His lap like a child would with a weaned child. Like, like this young man right here. He's looking at me like, oh boy. <laughs> now, if he got up in mama or grandma's lap, it wouldn't be to be fed by grandma or mama. 
He's too big for that. This young girl right here. Has there ever times where you had to get in mama or grandma's lap and they just hold you because something happened and you just didn't know what to do? Maybe somebody mistreated you. Somebody did something. Maybe you scraped your knee or your elbow and all you did was just jump up in mama's lap. You didn't come up to be fed. You just come up for mama's comfort, mama's peace. And mama held you and held you tight and held you close. And you could rest in those arms and, and find comfort and hope and peace that I may not know what to do next, but right now mama's got me and she's holding me. Now here's a king over a nation, King David, a man after God's own heart, says this is how he was treating his relationship with his heavenly father. I'm not coming to be nourished. I'm not coming to be necessarily fed. I'm just coming to find rest in you because I need you right now just to hold me. I'm disturbed in my spirit. I've quieted my spirit. It was unsettled and disturbed, but I found comfort and rest and hope in you. And you gave me peace. You gave me peace. You know what Isaiah 26, 3 teaches? That God will keep us in perfect peace when our mind is stayed or fixed upon the Lord. And why is our mind fixed and stayed upon the Lord? Because we trust in Him. God keeps those who trust Him in perfect peace. How do I know I'm trusting Him? My eyes fixed on Him. I'm looking to Him. And when I'm looking to Him, trusting Him, I don't keep myself in peace. He keeps me in peace. The word perfect peace is a plural term of peace, peace. God keeps me in peace, peace when I'm trusting Him. And He preserves me. Not only do I have peace with Him, but now I have peace from Him so that I can walk in the peace of God, which goes beyond understanding, that guards my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. God has three kinds of peace. There's peace with Him when I was reconciled to Him, that now he, I'm not an enemy of His. I'm seen as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm seen as being innocent. And without guilt before Him, God looks at me as He looks at His own Son because His Son was my substitute at the cross of Calvary. And I used to be a hostile enemy to the things of God, to the works of God, but through Jesus and the shedding of His blood and His sacrifice and His substitute, He welcomed me into His family, made peace with me through the blood of His covenant, and now I've got a friend in God. And when He sees me, I am as righteous as the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can't get no more righteous than that. Amen? Today in this place, I'm as righteous as I'll ever be. Because my righteousness is not based on me. It's based on the merit of Jesus. It's based on His life. That's why the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God has reconciled us. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the message of reconciliation. He said He has Him who knew no sin became sin for us that we who knew no righteousness might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You see, through the, through the work of the cross, Brother David, we are the righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God. 
And being a child of God, I've got peace with Him. I'm at peace with Him. Now what I want to do, because I am at peace with Him, I want to walk and live in this life with peace from Him. And that only comes through His revelation. That only comes with knowing how He works. That only comes through the knowledge that we talked about in the first service. Remember how Paul said, or Peter said, grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That by the divine power of God that He has given us through the knowledge of of Him who called us by glory and virtue and through the exceeding and great and precious promises that we take upon the divine nature of God. That's that godliness. Now what I am in Christ, being righteous, God wants to work that in my life every day. I need to become what I am in Him, and that is walk in faith. And when I'm trusting Him, as Isaiah 26, 3 says, I then have the peace that comes from God. But there are times in our journey, in our life, as this passage reveals, and as Philippians, remember the scripture says that we're to be anxious for, be anxious for what? Be anxious for what? Now we know what the passage says, but how often are we anxious? How often are we tormenting our mind? What did Jesus teach his disciples in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's simply saying seek the king and his ways. And then the king and his ways will make everything else clear and all other things shall be added unto our life. God knows what we need before we ever need it. He's going to make sure our needs are met according to His righteousness. They may not always met the way we thought they should be met. And that's just another sign that we're not trusting Him when we think we would do it differently than how He would do it. I want to tell you, God knows what's best for us. And all God's people said. But oftentimes the reason we're anxious is because we feel like we know what's best for ourselves. We think that it ought to be this way, or we should have this, or we shouldn't have this. God, I shouldn't have to deal with this person anymore. God, I shouldn't have to deal with this problem anymore. God, I shouldn't have to be dealing with this in my life anymore. Well, I may have not learned the lesson that I needed to learn, and God's allowed that to be in my life because He's still using it to shape me like the potter does to clay. Amen? Amen? But He says, be anxious for nothing. The word worry or anxious has the idea of being torn apart in the mind. It's really the picture of being self-torture. Back in the day, and I'd imagine it happens in some parts of the world even today for whatever reason, that when they would torture people, they would tie them up and they would pull their arms or their legs apart. And they would stretch them in two different directions. And when we worry or we're anxious or we are fretting over a thing, what we're doing is that we are torturing our mind. We're being pulled in two 
or three or several different directions, whether being single-minded. That's what it means to trust God is single-minded. God's united my heart to fear Him, to give place to Him, to be single-minded. But if I'm double-minded, if I'm being stretched and I'm, I'm looking back to this, but I want to look over to Him, but I'm torn back and forth, God says we can't expect anything from Him when that away. Why? Wow, we're letting everything in life manipulate us, but we're not letting Him govern and lead us. And what happens is we're torturing ourselves. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer, in supplications, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and the peace of God. Not peace with Him, not peace from Him, but the peace of God. The kind of peace that God operates in. Ain't nothing gets to God, amen? Y'all know that? Is there, is God threatened by anything? Is God's wisdom threatened by anything? Never. Never. That the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, things that you can't wrap your mind around, it's beyond that, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. See, I need to be at peace with Him. I need peace from Him. But there will be times in my journey when I need the peace of God. And this is what David's talking about. God, you gave me that peace that I didn't have to have the solution for the problem. I just rested in you. Amen. Now look at Matthew 18. This is this idea. Not only is it the idea of how we abide and walk in Jesus, but it's the idea of how we receive Him as well. One of the disciples, and oftentimes that word disciple can mean the entire group of followers. We find that illustrated in John chapter 8. An entire group of followers asked Jesus a question, and He said, how do you know you're my disciples? If you continue in my Word. If you abide in my word, he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you set you free. They said, well, we've never been enslaved to anything. These same group of followers. And Jesus then reveals to them that were following the crowd. Many of them followed the crowd, but they didn't follow the Christ. And he makes a distinction on that. In this passage, he said, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who is the greatest? In the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus called a little child to him. Set him in the midst of them. And said assuredly I say to you. Unless you are converted. Unless you are turned and become as little children. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore whoever humbles himself as this little child. Is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one of these little child like this and my name receives me now notice that unless you are turned or converted and receive or become as a little child remember david said that i got in the lap of the lord like a weaned child and found mercy and comfort in him our little granddaughter we've got 
Three daughters, three granddaughters, one grandson. Finally got a boy. Amen. But our youngest granddaughter, she's four years old, little Hazel Jane, she trusts me. She trusts Stephanie. She trusts her honey. She calls her Honey Bee. Honey Bee. She called her for the longest BB. All the other grandkids called her Honey. She would never call her Honey. She called her BB. So both BB and Honey and Honey Bee have stuck. They have stuck. But she trusts us. I mean, she trusts me. She wants to sit with me. She wants to hang out with me. She wants to be in my lap. She wants me to eat beside her when we eat at the table. She trusts me. Whatever I ask, whatever I say, whatever I do, she just trusts me. Now, here's the thing. She really don't know everything that I know. She doesn't know where I've been in the past. She doesn't know what I've experienced throughout my past. She don't know the people that I've been around, the things that I've heard, the things that I've seen, the things that I've done. She has no idea much, really, a whole lot at four years old. She doesn't know a whole lot about me. But you know what she does? She trusts me. She trusts me. She trusts me. She trusts me with her life. She trusts me with whatever I feed her. She trusts me with where, however I push her on a swing. She's asking me as she gets a little older and, and, and expanding her wings a little bit to push her a little harder, to push her a little further. She's wanting to go out a little bit more. She's wanting me to throw her a little higher when I throw her. But she trusts that I'm going to catch her every time. She doesn't know a whole lot about me. But she trusts me. And it's evident in how she lives with me. It's evident. There's so much about the Lord that we just don't know. And all God's people said, I don't have to know everything. I don't have to know everything that He's done. I don't have to know everything that He will do. I don't have to know everything that He sees or hasn't seen in the past, future, or what, even though we know He's omnipresent, He's omniscient, He sees all. I don't have to know, I don't have to have all that knowledge to just put my trust in Him. Amen? As a little child that humbly takes every word He says and believes Him and acts on it. And walks in it. Amen. We've got to trust him. We've got to trust him with my life. I've got to trust that he could throw me as far as he wants to throw me. And he's always going to catch me. I've got to trust that he's going to put me out there in the dark when I can't see exactly where I'm going. But that he always sees me and he always has my best interest at hand. His glory at hand and what he's going to do with me. I think about Noah. Y'all remember Noah? And when God came to him, and, and the Bible tells us that, that Noah was divinely warned by God about a judgment that was coming. And the scripture says that Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, the scripture says Noah was affected by the word. He moved with fear. That's one, that's an indicator that you trust in God when the word of God is affecting you. It affects you, it moves you. 
He was moved with fear. It affected him to the point that then it equipped him to build an ark for the saving of his household. When everybody else was mocking him, when everybody else was laughing at him, when everybody else thought he was ridiculous in what he was doing, when he risked his reputation and all, he had never seen rain, he had never seen anything like that. Nobody had ever seen it. And I'd imagine the rest of the people of the world, when they were mocking at him, though he hired out some of those to help him build that ark and he paid them to build it, he did what what God commanded him to do. He was propelled by faith. It affected him. It equipped him to build it. He built it just like God told him to build it. And then it empowered him to stand on those convictions. And the scripture says that he was a preacher of righteousness, warning the world that judgment was coming. Matter of fact, Isaiah 54 and verse 9 refers to those waters in Noah's day as the waters of judgment, as the waters of Noah. The waters of Noah. Why do you think God refers to the waters? Not only historically, Brother David, I think it was because that was the message that Noah preached, that waters were coming. We are all known for the lies we lived and the messages that we preach. Amen? We're all known. But Noah trusted God, and it affected how he lived. It equipped him to do what God gave him to do and it empowered him to stand when nobody else would stand with him. Alabama, you're going to have to stand. The disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ are going to have to stand in the coming days. All eyes of the world are on Alabama right now. And all eyes of the world are mocking Alabama for their decisions. All eyes of the world are saying that, that Alabama is, 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 has made the wrong decision. Do you know that nobody stood with Noah when he was building that ark? We live in a society today that says, look... Everybody has their own choices, can make their own choices, do their own thing. Women can make their own choices. It's their body. Let them make their own choices. I want to tell you, they did make their own choices, just like they've made in the days of Noah. And that didn't stop the judgment that was coming. Noah warned them judgment was coming. He prepared an ark, but nobody listened to him. But God empowered him. Hebrews chapter 11 says that by faith, when he acted on the word that God gave him in building that ark, he he condemned the rest of the world under the judgment of God. By faith, it empowered him to stand in position with God. And when you ever stand with God, it casts condemnation on everything that ain't of God. Every single time. So don't be afraid to stand upon the position of faith with the Lord. Amen. Stand with Him. Trust Him. Do what He asks you to do. You're not always going to get it right. You are imperfect. Just cast your imperfections upon Him who is perfect. Show compassion and love. Noah did that. He preached. He prepared. But nobody listened to him. But you know what? Noah had to get in that ark when God told him to get in it. And when he got in it, you know what God did? God's the one who sealed the door. And when God sealed the door and the rains began to fall, those that didn't trust Noah's claim when he was preaching to them couldn't trust that claim when the rain started falling. It was too late. It was too late. But you know, when Noah got in that ark, there was three things about that ark 
that speak of Noah's faith. That ark had no sails. That ark had no rudders. And the ark had no anchors. No anchor. No rudder. No sail. Some people say they found anchors that could have been. They'd had no anchors. If they would have had anchors, God would have gave the description of it in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8. He would have. No anchors. No sails. No rudder. You know what that means? That's what makes it an ark. Had it had a sail or had it had a rudder or an anchor, it would have been a boat. It would have been a ship. But it was an ark. The ark doesn't have those things. So you know what Noah was at? Noah was at the utter mercy of God. He could not steer that vessel. He could not harness the power of the wind. He could not slow that vessel down. There was nothing that he could possibly do. When he got in that ark and the rains began to fall and the floods began to rise, he was entrusting his life and the life of his family and all that he'd done at the mercy of God. And that's the picture of trust in him, that God knows best. I come to him as a small child, putting my confidence in him, not with no predetermined ideas about him, not with anything like that. Just like little Hazel Jane trusts me, she don't know much about me, but she trusts me. Noah didn't know a lot about God, but he trusts him. And y'all have all seen the damage of what a flood would do. Are you with me? I mean a local flood. Not a worldwide catastrophic flood that destroyed the entire world. Can you imagine how the, how the, the, the winds and the waves and the, and the danger and the volatility of the water was at the control of God with that ark that Noah couldn't do a thing about it other than just wait it out and wait upon the Lord and God guided that ark the entire time. You know, that's the picture of us coming into Christ Jesus. Jesus is our ark. We come into Him, you know what? He can do with whatever He wants to do with us. Amen? Not that we don't have an anchor in this world. He is our anchor and we're anchored in Him in glory. But He can take us wherever He wants to take us. Do whatever He wants to do with us. Lead us wherever He wants to lead us. Fill us with what He wants to fill us with. Lead us to the people He wants us to be with. Bring the troubles and the trials and the problems. Whatever it is. Why? We trust Him and we're at His mercy. We're at His mercy. That's the picture of trusting Jesus with our life. I could only imagine that day, speaking of those little children, can you imagine those little children standing in knee-deep water saying, Daddy, you told me that man was a liar. Daddy, you told me that man was a fool and not to believe his message. Mama, You told me not to believe that man Noah that he said these judgments were coming and that water is coming up to their to their hips and above their thighs and it's getting to about their belly button and there's not anything they can do except watch the water rise and watch the ark float away. And all they could do is cry out, Mama, you told me not to give my life to this man and that message. Can you imagine 
that, that terror and those things going on with those children and those lives that day as they were doing their best. You see, Noah didn't shut the door on this thing. God sealed the door because if God didn't seal the door, I'd imagine Noah would have done everything he could to knock the door down to let people in. But it was too late. The Bible says that's how it's going to be in the coming of the days of the Lord that men and women will marry. They will bury. They will have feasts and celebrations. They will continue life as normal up until the day the Lord returns. And like it was in the days of Noah to be everlasting too late. Mom and Daddy, it is on you in this place today. I'm calling on you. Lord's calling on you to step up. And don't give those little ones any excuses why not to believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't give them any excuses not to trust the Word of God. Give your life to do what God's called us to do. We're not building an ark this, this day. He is our ark, but we are building the body of Christ. We are building the church. And we do that by reaching people for Jesus, teaching people about Jesus, equipping people to serve Jesus, and mobilizing people to go with Jesus. And if I'm not part of that work, I'm no different than the men and women that watch their little children along with them sink in the flood when God judged this world. We need to get busy doing what God called us to do. Amen? Amen. But I'll never do it until I trust Him like a child. Until I trust Him. So today I encourage you to trust Him. Trust Him with your life. Amen? Trust Him with your life. Trust Him. Father, we thank You. Thank You for Your mercies and Your grace and Your kindness. Thank You for the blood of Jesus for the righteousness of Christ. Thank you that you took an undrinkable life like mine and done something with it that can bring you glory. I don't always bring you glory. I don't always do the right thing, but you are my righteousness. You are my wisdom. You are my sanctification. And you are my glory. And I can't help but praise you and thank you for taking the flaws of my life and turning them into something that can bring praise to you. And I pray for the families that are in here today that the dads will step up and lead and that the moms would walk in faith and power and that you would just raise up champions for truth. Young boys and young girls sculptured uh, with your splendor and mature at an early age of following after you because of what you've done in mom and daddy's life. Lord, we're praying for it. We're asking you to help us. We know when we stand with you, we automatically condemn the rest of the world that its ways is a lie and false. But by faith, you have empowered us to stand. Give us compassion and mercy to reach out to those who are perishing without you. To help them, to be understanding, to be tenderhearted and gentle. But to stand upon the gospel that transforms and changes lives today. We come before you as little children to find rest and comfort and peace in you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.